Hi folks, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And the project is to walk through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And you are most very welcome, and you're particularly welcome if you're here for the first time. And why not click on that subscribe button wherever you receive your podcast from. I make the decision to make the study of the Word of God part of the rhythm of your daily life from here on forward. So with that said, you're all very welcome and we're going to pick up our study of Matthew's Gospel, Season 3, at Chapter 10, beginning at verse 24. And please do hang around at the end and I'll update you on a few things. Bye for now. You would have think that serving the Lord would be enjoyable. It is, after all, working for a wonderful boss, you might say, someone who is gracious and generous, and of course that is true. But in reality, me myself, having served the Lord for decades, virtually all of my adult life, in fact, I find that although that's generally true, there is a certain side to serving the Lord that can indeed be difficult, very difficult, and serving the Lord can involve suffering at times as well. It's sort of like, well, to use Jesus' own analogy we looked at last time, it's a bit like being sent out as sheep amongst wolves. And he actually said that when he sent out his 12 apostles. He gave them some instructions, warning them that their call to service might involve hardship and suffering. He even told them that they might suffer persecution from not only religious leaders, but also civic leaders, and maybe perhaps even their own family. He told them that some of them could very well be arrested and even scourged, whipped, as we would say today. That was possible. And of course, he said that on many occasions, people would hate them for no other reason than that they held high the name of Jesus. So if all that's true, I have a question for us I'd like to consider these next couple of days, which is why would we want to put up with all that sort of stuff? Why would we want to volunteer for a job, for a role with that kind of job description? Well, if you're reading what the Lord told these 12 guys here when he sent them out, you'll just soon discover that the Lord himself answers that very question for them and I suspect for us today. So what I want to do is look again at Matthew chapter 10 and pick up from verse 24 and consider these instructions that the Lord gave to these 12 men when he sent them out to preach, to teach and to evangelize and to tell them tell the people about him. Matthew 10 verses 24 to 29, this opening part, is a continuation of the speech he's given, his commission if you like, which in in effect really began way back in verse 1. But now in this passage, Jesus is in essence telling them, and by nature also telling us, that there is indeed, may very well be suffering in the service of the Lord, in his service. But it seems to me that he's telling us these various kinds of suffering that go on and that if we go out and serve the Lord, the one thing that's very clear is that we're amongst those oppositions and persecutions, we're going to face the one of being falsely accused of stuff. At several points in this whole chapter, 
so far, he's actually said three times, in fact, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. So what I want us to do is look at this passage today, and we're going to see these various three forms of suffering. He mentions being falsely accused, being afraid and being involved in arguments, even with your own family. However, in the midst of that, I also want us to grapple with the other question, which is that whilst serving the Lord is what will enable us to put up with things like that. Why would we want to do that if this is what we're going to have to face whilst serving the Lord? So while we're discussing these three forms of suffering, I would also like us to discuss why we should even consider living this type of life. And in verse 24, Jesus begins to address this issue when he tells the disciples that by bringing this very message is going to be something that divides people. Even members of the same family may be divided on this issue. So with that in mind, let me begin by reading for you verse 24, where he says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. Now before we get into the meat of it, I think I need to pause right away Because he's saying in this verse, reminding us that we are indeed the students. The disciples then were his students. And any disciple, like us today, is we're students, we're servants, if you like. And that we need to remember that we are never above the one who is teaching us, just like a slave is never above the slave owner. Now, in those days, they treated teachers the same way as a master would treat a servant. So in a sense, he's reminding us, you know, we have no right to or should not expect any better treatment for us than was given to our master and our leader first, which of course was Jesus. But in the next verse, he begins to get more specific for us when he says, it is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant to be like his master. If they have called the master of the house Bealjamub, how much more will he call those of his household? So he's reminding them of the fact that they called him Beelzebub, the devil himself. Beelzebub was actually the name of a Philistine god from that period. But the Jews, they adopted it and used it as a name for the devil himself. So to call someone Beelzebub was one of the most offensive things you could say to them. One of the most offensive examples of swearing that you could use in Jesus' day. And yet that's exactly, precisely what they did and called the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying, look, if they called me the devil himself and you're going to be a follower of me, well, guess what's going to happen to you? And he's already told them early in the chapter, he says, you're going to be hated. And you're going to be hated because you revere my name. You're going to be ill-treated. And that may even involve things like being arrested and whips. But now he adds to that the offensive name calling. He says, you will be called a devil or you will be called an idiot. Or you will be described as a fanatic or some other names, titles and offensive terms. But the idea going on here is that within all this name calling, you are in fact being falsely accused. I think it's really fascinating to me that when the press wants to talk about Christians in a negative light, they always want to make them look foolish or they want to make them look like fanatics. And he reminds us that that's the case. And that will happen to his disciples today and to us by nature today. And the likelihood is that people will call you an idiot if you go out and talk about Jesus. And Jesus is wanting to just warn us here, look friends, that is what might be coming. 
And of course, your response might be, like I said at the beginning, well, why in the world would we want to live a life where that's what we're going to experience? You see, I, today, I consider myself a fairly balanced human being. I don't want anybody to think I'm stupid. I don't want people to think I'm a fanatic. So why, in a sense, would I want to go out and live a life that means that that's the way I'm going to get treated? Why should we put up with things like that? Well, buried in these statements and in this little phrase in the passage we're unpacking this morning, I think we're going to find the answers, at least in part, to that question. Look again at verse 25. It says, It's enough to be a disciple and to understand that as a disciple, you're not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. So if in your heart you really want to be a follower of Christ, if you really want to be a disciple of his, a learner of his, then one should fully expect that you're not going to be treated any better than he was treated. And we know how badly he was treated. But on the other hand, it means by making that decision to follow him and doing that, we are what the scripture describes as being conformed to Christ. So my answer to the question is why we put up with it. Well, it's worth putting up with because what you're going to get out of it is you're going to become a little bit more day by day, a little bit more like Jesus himself, a little bit more like Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul wrote and said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So the knowing him for a disciple should be the passing of our souls. That I may know him, that is enough. That's a good enough reason to want to do it. And in that, you can understand that you are suffering because he suffered. And that's what we, in a sense, get as disciples. We get to be like him for the good stuff in life and the bad stuff in life. You know, years ago, when I was working through an Easter series of seven sermons on the final words of Jesus, the last seven words or phrases that Jesus spoke from the cross I remember one day getting towards the end of the series and in my mind's eye seeing God incarnate in Jesus Christ, betrayed by someone close to him, denied by his friends, deserted by his inner circle. And I remember sitting at my desk and thinking, this person, Jesus, who underwent all that suffering and betrayal, he is the object of my spiritual life and it is he who is hanging on a cross. And I think on that day, I understood for the first time that I truly needed to be conformed to the image of Christ. And that meant very likely that what happened to him was what was going to happen to me. That of course is going to happen to me. That of course is going to happen to you if you are in any way becoming like him. I can't tell you how that spiritual realisation changed my life. All right. The people are going to think I'm an idiot. So what? They thought Jesus was an idiot. They thought he was filled with the devil himself. So I'm going to be betrayed. So what? It means I'm just being betrayed like he was betrayed. I'm going to be deserted and I'm going to be denied. But now I can understand that by undergoing those sorts of things, I am entering into the same experience that he had. So why put up with it? Because by putting up with it, we become more and more like him. That's why. Now, the second form of persecution is mentioned, other than by this name-calling and false representation of you, is you're going to be put into situations where you're going to be afraid. Let me remind you of what it says in verse 26. 
Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will be revealed and hidden that will not be known. So Jesus has now said do not fear three times in this chapter. But maybe the question that pops into your head, because I do, I do know it did mine when I hear this statement is, well what is it we were supposed to fear? Well, what I believe is being said here is that if you're going to serve the Lord, if you're going to talk about the Lord, then you're going to suffer for doing that. And Jesus is, t- is saying, by telling you this now, you know this truth in advance. You're pre-warned, so to speak. Nothing should surprise you because nothing has been withheld from us here in this teaching. Nothing has been covered up. He expounds on this by saying, whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light and what you hear in the ear, preach on the high stops, the rooftops. So what he's saying, I'm telling you and I'm going to tell you spiritual stuff, spiritual truths, but I want you to take those and go preach them and don't be afraid to speak up about these things I'm teaching about. These are the points of these verses, friends. Whatever he is telling us now, we are meant to be not afraid and go out and speak and preach about them in public places. Shout them from the rooftop, so to speak. Someone once wrote years ago, no one can speak for Christ unless Christ has spoken to him. No one can proclaim the truth unless they have listened to the truth first. And no one can tell what he does not know. So first, we are to sit at the feet and listen and learn what Jesus himself is teaching us. What he said from his own words. In the like of these gospel accounts, and then what we have learned from Christ, we are commanded to speak out. Even if that speaking out means that we are hated by men. And because that is the likelihood, Jesus reminds us, verse 27, And do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul, body, and hell. Now, one of the great reformers in Europe in the 16th century was a man named John Knox. And when he died, someone at his funeral said, Here lies one who feared God so much that he never feared the face of any man. So what does it really mean? What does this fear of God really mean? Because Jesus says, do not fear people. But the second thing he says about this is, do not fear those who can kill the body because they cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? And it seems a little bit of out of character, this idea of fearing God. So let's think a moment about what it really means. This is actually the same thought he's been stating throughout this last passage and he's reinforcing it by using the repetition of don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to speak out. Don't be afraid of any other person because all they can do is is kill your body. And on the other side, the other side of the coin, if you like to speak, is if you're going to fear someone, fear only God for he is the only one who has the power to destroy the body and the soul. So what I believe this passage is actually saying is is the fear of God should be allowed to overpower and conquer the fear of men. And then that enables us to be fearless in our approach to life because our body and soul is safe and eternally secure. Now there's another thought that balances that idea and I'm going to get to it in a minute. But first of all, let me tell you of a little story I read of during World War II. And it was of a boy who lived in Holland who kept a diary during the Nazi occupation. And in that diary he wrote, and I quote, 
Last week, three German officers searched our house. They stopped my father in the hallway and held him at gunpoint and forced him to open the steel door leading to the basement. One of them ordered my father to crawl into the space under the hallway with a torch. He was told that if he did not tell them where the weapons were hidden, that he would be shot instantly. I knew nothing about any weapons, and my dad was never a great hero type to me, for I actually knew that he was even afraid of the dentist. But what was amazing, on that day at that time he showed no fear, and as one of the Germans cocked his luger, the gun, the pistol, and held it against my father's temple, my dad recited the verse that said, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. The German soldiers looked at each other, they shrugged their shoulders, and they left. They can put a gun to our heads in the name of Christ, friends, because we are a witness to Christ. Now that is probably unlikely to happen to me today here in the UK or for most of you listening, but that still is the potential truth in some countries of the world. And even in that most extreme of situation, this passage is telling us that we should not be afraid. Now I could end today's message there, but hang on, it would feel like a bit of a a rebuke talking about fearing God. Which is why we continue on, because I think Jesus has one more thing to say in this section, which really puts in the almost reprimand of this previous verse into the perspective it's meant to sit within. Because it tells us, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from the Father's will. But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. So he finishes this section by reminding us that we have more value than a small bird, a sparrow. So it seems to me we need to stop and talk a minute about sparrows for a minute and what this actually means. Now I have read commentaries that tell us that two sparrows sold for a copper coin in those days. Now I don't exactly know how much that was. One commentator I read estimated it's about 25 pence, 25 cents in today's money. But what we do know and what is definitely would be known by the audience reading this at the time it was written, that a sparrow represented the cheapest form of food a family could buy at that time. So Jesus is absolutely, deliberately choosing something that has of little earthly value. It's almost insignificant, if you will. And he says, not one of them falls to the ground apart from the Father's will. Now, a better translation, which is used sometimes, it says fall on the ground. I'll explain what I mean, the difference in that in a moment. But what it's saying overall is nothing can happen to a believer in Jesus Christ that's insignificant or outside the will of the Father. I repeat, nothing can happen to a believer that is so insignificant that it's apart from the Father's will. Write that down. Make a mental note of that. Nothing can happen to a believer that is outside apart from the Father's will. Remember the story of Job. Satan had to get permission to attack him. And God says, yeah, but you can't touch him. And Satan still could not get Job to curse God. The same applies. Nothing can happen to a believer in Jesus Christ that is apart from the Father's will. Which is why we don't need to fear anything. Two sparrows, as I said, were sold for a copper coin. and Not one of them falls. The word doesn't mean fall and die. It means trips or falls or bumps into something and hits the ground. 
maybe even just trips when it's hopping along. And Jesus tells us that even something like that happening to the most insignificant birds would not happen without God knowing about it. God knows about it all and nothing happens apart from the will of God. So the point here is it's trying to tell us that no matter how it seems, God is in control and God cares about you. And he then adds another illustration to just drive this home for us. It says he has counted the very hairs of your head and all are numbered. Meaning that he knows about you and every little detail of your life. God loves you and cares about you. He knows each and every detail and he's in control of every detail. If you feel alone in life or you feel like God has deserted you or even if you just feel like it's all too much and you feel like giving up, don't forget, always remember God loves you and continue on as best you can. Continue on, friends, and tell others about him and what he's done for you. So therefore, do not fear because we are of more value than even the smallest of sparrow. And if that little sparrow counts, and yet he knows us and knows the very number of hairs on your head, don't you think he cares more even about us? Which means that nothing, nothing can happen to separate us from the love of God and Christ. So he is always in control. So again, why would we want to put up all these troubles, all these things are going on in the world, all the struggles and the opposition we have? We can do that because underneath we can know that God is in control and God cares about us. At this point, the section where Jesus is discussing this thing, you know, it's not completely concluded yet and it takes another unusual turn. In a sense, Jesus throws us a bit of a curveball next, but we shall pick that up in the next episode when we should pick up the text in verse 32. Bye for now. Okay people, I hope you find that helpful. And we'll return at this section looking at how we can uh, deal with the opposition in life and think about this curveball that Christ throws us when he talks about how, by following him, it brings division into our lives and the life of others, which is kind of counterintuitive to what we would think, isn't it? But before I sign off, I'd just like to remind you that a complete transcript of everything I say is always available in the episode note page of thebibleproject.buzzsprite.com. That's the place where the podcast is hosted, but of course, you could be getting it from any of the podcast providers, any of the places you get your podcasts from. But I'm aware that some of them don't provide active links anymore. So if you want to connect to the other areas of the ministry, like the Facebook page, the YouTube channel, and even the places where I put the more structured discipleship courses, like my LinkedIn page and my Patreon page, if you go to the thebibleproject.buzzsprite.com, you will find the links all alive and well there. Also, if you've maybe missed a number of episodes in a the row, there's an opportunity, if you wish, to get the compilation episode, which is put and placed on the sister podcast website, which is called the Living in Faith Everyday Podcast. There's a link for that there too. And what you'll find there is a edited together, longer format version of this teaching all in one place. 
a bit like a compilation episode where it might be easier for you to, to catch up but those compilation episodes only stay there for three months but you also find links to places like the YouTube channel, which is becoming the long-term archive of the teaching that I'm doing. And the reason it's helpful to go there sometimes is it's all put into playlist forms based by book or theme. So if you're looking for a particular teaching, you're not necessarily going to have to scroll back through hundreds and maybe one day thousands of episodes to find what you're looking for. So I do hope all those things are helpful and I do hope you're finding this studying the Bible together helpful. Certainly I'm being blessed in the preparation for it and I trust and, and hope that you also have been blessed by the decision to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily life also. The promise of the Bible itself is that you will be blessed by it. So I do hope you hang in there with me as we work together through it all. And please, if you are finding this helpful, and any of this teaching helpful, then why not consider sharing it with your friends, giving them a link so they too can make the decision to be part of this amazing journey together. So with that all said, I'll say bye-bye for now, and I do trust I'll see you right back here tomorrow. Well, tomorrow it is for me, on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.